Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome back to Crime Ghoul, a true crime podcast where I'm your host, Brittany, and I'm accompanied by my cute little um, co-host, my puppy, Kylo. If you guys are familiar with my Instagram, which is crimeghoul underscore, chances are you've probably seen pictures of him and his cuteness makes the gruesomeness of this content a little bit more bearable. So, you found my podcast or you've been listening to me and if either or that's great welcome 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 so excited to have new listeners i'm excited for my listeners that have been here since the get-go thank you thank you to everybody i appreciate you so yeah my um podcast is really about bringing you guys all things true crime specifically cases that are not heavily covered in the media because it's important we pay attention to these cases i think a lot of the times they're really not in the media for a long time for specific reasons and that's primarily because they're difficult to hear So, if you find yourself being disturbed already, as I'm kind of giving you guys a forewarning without giving you a forewarning, you might want to turn back now if your stomach's kind of weak or if you don't like hearing about miserable things. Um, And if that's the case, I totally understand and I'm happy you got this far. So yeah, without further ado, if you guys are ready to get started, I'm not going to really chit-chat. This episode is just way too way too messed up for me to kind of chit chat about i found it inappropriate so let's get into this heavy case and yeah go brew yourself a cup of coffee maybe pour yourself a glass of wine or definitely take a shot of whiskey because this case is not for the faint of heart as always i thank you for listening So here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to think back to being 15 years old. Maybe some of you listening are 15 right now, and if that's the case, I want you to listen closely because this one's for you. Do you remember that feeling of invincibility and freedom and wow, nothing bad could happen to me ever? Or if you are 15 right now, do you feel it? I know when I was 15, I wanted to be with my friends all of the time. I wanted to be doing something crazy, something risky, something cool. I think a lot of teens feel that way. They want to be doing that, and for you to become popular or well-known, you have to be doing something wild. I'm sure at this age, a lot of you started sneaking out to be with your friends or perhaps to be with a boy or a girl. All the while, you're crapping your pants because you think your parents are going to find out and they're going to drag you home by your hair and embarrass you in front of your crush or your friends. On top of this, I'm sure a lot of you guys dabbled or were well acquainted with something called marijuana and alcohol. But now that I've got you in the mood, the year is 1995. It's a hot summer in July and the location, Royo Grande, California. And you know what? For once in my life, I don't feel super old right now at 25, because I was born in 1995. Actually, I would have been a few months old at the time of this story. Well, there was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, and boy was she beautiful. A real 90s chick. And I'll post her pics up to my Insta if you're interested in seeing what she looked like so you can have a face to go with the story. Her photos look a lot more innocent than they were. Not to say that she was a bad person, because she was not at all. So far from that, she was a great person. And her rosy cheeks may have suggested that she was a well-behaved girl. And isn't it so silly that we're so quick to make inferences purely from a couple of pictures? I'm sure a lot of you are doing that. 
Her name is Elise Paler, and Elise was known as a really nice person. She loved her family, she believed in God, and she loved her friends, and above all, she loved having a good time. But Elise did have a problem. She was really wrapped up with smoking marijuana and drinking. And although a lot of teens are, her life was starting to be interrupted by it. She was actually suspended from school a few times because of it. Elise would end up finding herself in Mariposa Recovery Center for her marijuana addiction. Now, now, I know a lot of you guys are going to say addicted to marijuana, what? Yeah, well, I don't know what your take is on it, but um, her parents believe that she might have had an addiction. Hell, Elise even thought that she might have had an addiction because she just loved weed a lot. So Elise's parents enrolled her into this day program. They were worried for their daughter. They feared that maybe she would start dabbling in some harder substances because there was a shit ton of drugs going on um, at that time, going around in specifically Arroyo Grande, California. So that's what they really wanted to avoid. And Elise was a good kid. She didn't give her parents a hard time. She respected them. And she realized, hey, you know, maybe I did fuck up and I want to make it better. While at this program, she got pretty well acquainted with 17-year-old Jacob Dashamad. And if I'm saying that name wrong, someone correct me because I'm going to sound like an idiot throughout all of this. So I guess, uh, oh well. Anyway, she got well acquainted with Jacob and he was also there for drug treatment. They kind of knew of each other because after all, they did go to the same school. But Elise was 15. She was two years younger than Jacob. So really, they'd only seen each other's faces around the halls. And she did ride the bus with Jacob and um, two of his other friends, Joseph Fiorella and Travis Williams. And Travis actually was, um, he was living with Joseph at the time because a lot of shit was going on with his family. He wasn't getting along with them. So he ended up living with Joseph and his mom was pretty okay with that. But later, Elise would meet their other friend, Royce Casey. So to break it down a little bit, Joseph was the same age as Elise. He was 15, and as far as I know, so was Travis Williams. And then Royce was actually the oldest of the bunch, with Jacob being 17 and Royce was around 18 years older, just about, at the time. So all of these boys were in a band called Hatred, and just like it sounds, well, they would sing about dark lyrics that entailed everything uh, they hated. Yeah. <laughs> their favorite band was a 90s band called Slasher, and their genre was thrash metal. And if you guys don't know what thrash metal is, well, it's pretty dark. I mean, their lyrics really talked about violence against women, rape, torture, um, necrophilia, and some talks about Satan. It's, it's a little intense. Yeah, these guys were pretty odd um, in the eyes of their peers. They played in their angry band, they spent a lot of time reading about Satanism, and they would get whacked out of their skulls on drugs, specifically acid, speed, and crank. And if you don't know what these things are, that's a good thing. If you don't and you're like me, and maybe you took drugs and behavior, um, but if not, acid is a hallucinogen. You know, it creates altered thoughts, feelings, and you have like an intense awareness of your surroundings. And then you got speed, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a stimulant. It's pretty much, it's meth. And it gives you an immediate rush, but it only lasts a few minutes. And it, it gives you this intense feeling of pleasure and kind of euphoria. And then there's crank, which is more of a downer and it's but it's pretty much the same thing. It gives you that euphoric feeling. And basically, they're all these two are meth. That's just point blank what it is. 
And then on top of all this, they frequently smelled like marijuana and um, stale alcohol because they smoked weed and they drank a lot too. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking 15, 17, even 18. I, I mean, no age is good for these hard drugs. I'm sorry. Um, marijuana and alcohol, I'm not shocked because pretty much everyone does that. But with these harder drugs, I, um, I'm already disturbed. I don't know about you guys, but I'm already there. Yeah, I'm there. So the boys often drove around town in Travis's 1985 Toyota pickup. And all the while, their music was thudding, sounds coming from the slasher um, band I told you about. And there were some pretty disturbing lyrics. Some noteworthy ones were, quote-unquote, Slice her flesh to shreds, watch the blood flow free. Well, these guys just seemed like a dandy bunch, don't you think? One of their favorite spots to hang out was the local Burger King. They liked to share milkshakes while watching people. They kind of got off on that feeling um, of eyes watching them, like, oh shit, look, it's them, these freaking weirdos. They kind of lavished in it. I know, so metal, right? So Elise had two best friends, Shannon Plotner and Angel Catrini. Along with their peers, they found these guys to be rather odd as well. They thought the boys had no fucks to give and just didn't give a shit about anyone, quite frankly. And Joe Fiorella, he was a weird one, the youngest one. He had a habit of fixating on girls around school, and he'd specifically pick a few out and he would follow them around, and he had a huge staring problem, and some bug eyes to go with it. A lot of people thought he was a creep, um, he sounds like it if you ask me, and he seemed to be extremely cold and he doesn't, he never really spoke much, kind of just stared. So sometimes the girls ran into these guys, whether it was around the neighborhood, at Burger King, or what have you at school. But Elise and her friends, they usually spent their time at Elise's house in her room because, you see, she had the ultimate setup. She had a lot of privacy. Her house was pretty big. She came from an affluent neighborhood. All of them were pretty well off. Her bedroom was on the opposite side of the house from her parents and siblings. So really, she had, like, her whole neck of the woods, really. Her room was brightly colored and she had bunk beds, even though no one shared the room with her, she had it to herself, so I'm sure it was good for sleepovers, no doubt. She also had these beautiful French doors that led out to the backyard. Shit, I always always wanted French doors, and if you guys don't know what French doors are, I'm going to teach you. Go check out my social media and you'll see what some French doors are. They're nice. But on top of that, she had a comfy couch that was next to these doors and a nice fluffy chair covered in pillows. Very comfy. So for some reason, when I was reading about this case, I was just getting big Regina George bedroom vibes. And if you don't know what this reference is, go watch Mean Girls right now. Like, just pause this and go watch Mean Girls. Go listen to something funny and dramatic. But um, if you guys do know what I'm talking about, you know how Regina's room looks. It's just nice and spread out and she's got a lot of privacy, but also, I mean, her mom doesn't really care. So completely different story. Anyway, so Elise had a lot of medication pill bottles stacked high in her bedroom, pretty much stacked to the ceiling. She had a lot of anxiety and she refused to take medication for it. Now in 1995, mental illness um, or any type of mental instability, um, whatever these people would consider mental instabilities, um, such as anxiety or depression, were pretty frowned upon. Nowadays, we still have a stigma attached to these things, which, come on, people, we should not. Anyway, 
So yeah, Elise kind of refused to take this medication. She didn't want meds or she didn't want to rely on meds, but she had no problem smoking weed. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway. So Elise was finding that she was bored. She wanted more adventure in her life and Katrina and Angel seemed to play life by the rules. They were pretty content with where they were. They weren't interested in drinking or parties like Elise was. They were more about nature and camping and just hanging out outside. But Elise just had more of an adventurous spirit. She needed something risky. And maybe she was just a little too curious. So the girls talked about a lot in that bedroom, as most high school girls do. And of course, they often talked about boys, because that's what a lot of sleepovers were about when you were that age. Um, or they were just about the people you crushed on, or the people you thought were cute, the people you thought were ugly, maybe a little shit-talking and gossiping. You know how it goes. But anyway, they often talked about boys, and they'd rate the boys in their class, and you know, how cute was this one, who's on the top, who's on the bottom. So yeah, they kind of entailed all the guys in their grade or their school. It really went from the grade, their grade, and then beyond that, it went to just guys in the school in general. So Jacob and Joseph did make their way on this list, and Elise felt drawn to these elusive guys, but she was also wary of them. And after spending time in rehab with Jacob and taking an art class with him, she knew he had very odd tendencies. After all, she did watch him in art class draw and paint devil figures and satanic signs, which she found to be a little disturbing, especially because she was a pretty holy person. So Joseph, actually, the youngest one again, Mr. Bug Eyes, he was expelled from school for yelling profanities at teachers, so he didn't really last at school with them that long, but he still made the list. So a lot of the times, these guys, they wouldn't show up to school. They were too cool for school, too metal for school, if you will. They often felt bored by school. They were bored by their lives in general. So yeah, insert the drugs and the alcohol. And did I mention they like sniffing glue? I don't think I did. Yeah, they were big sniffers of glue. So I don't really know what that's about. Um, I mean, I've heard of it happening, but I just don't know really how that works. And I guess, um, yeah, I'll keep it that way. Anyway, they also spent their time watching and rewatching River's Edge, which was a movie that starred the wonderful and beautiful Keanu Reeves. Um, they kind of lived by this movie. This was kind of their mantra. They wanted to be the people in this movie. And I mean, like, who wouldn't want to be Keanu Reeves, young or Keanu Reeves in 2021? It's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what these boys did. They got high on drugs. They got drunk. They skipped school. They were in their band Hatred, where they talked about and sang about hating everybody. And, uh, yeah, they loved Keanu Reeves. So, I mean, that's probably about the only redeeming quality they had was loving Keanu Reeves, because I can't blame them for that one. So as the guys spent more and more time together within the year of 95, they started talking about really dark things. They started talking about Satanism, like I mentioned, some of some things about the occult. I don't know too much about Satanism or the occult, so I'm not trying to knock anybody who's into that. I, you know, listen, judge-free zone as long as you're not um, doing what these kids do, which you'll find out. Um, because then, honestly, I, I can't really agree with you on that. Anyway, they started talking about Satan and sacrificing something or someone to Satan to reap the benefits. Specifically, these kids wanted to become famous. They wanted their band hatred to take off. They wanted to be slasher. They wanted the fame of Keanu Reeves. All of that. And 
what other way to get it than maybe sacrificing something and at first it really started off as a joke and the more it kept coming up the more serious it was getting so between taking drugs listening to slasher talks about satanism sacrificial topics began to interest them quite a bit they started going on the internet where they were finding people who were just like them. And yes, for all of you youngins out there, the internet was around in 1995 and you could find people to talk to even then. The birth of an era. And Joe, um, he was beginning to collect quite a few books about satanic practices and um, really the Church of Satan. He'd share the books with his friends and they would discuss the readings that they would do on their own and then they would kind of just put it all together and see what they had to say about it their what they liked about it all that stuff the guys typically wanted to find places to hang out especially while school was in session um they wanted somewhere where they wouldn't be found and obviously burger king just wasn't gonna cut it so they typically would hang out in a place called the pipe of death how fitting so this was pretty much an old water pipe that stood about 20 feet above the ground and it was called the pipe of death because a kid the year prior had fell on his back and nearly died he didn't die but a lot of the town ended up contorting the story to yeah the kid died i guess it just made it more interesting and not a lot was going on in this town so anything to fester on but needless to say no one really died at that pipe but that was the best place to go to hide from adults hide from teachers so when they were skipping school, that's where they were. So Joe Fiorella and Travis Williams lived pretty close to Elise, and so did Jacob. Royce was from a completely different school, but um, I'm not really sure how they knew each other. They became really close, though. So they would hang out around Joe's house mainly, and because Elise lived right there, her and her friends would get off the bus, and, you know... They'd either get off at practically the same stop or the boys would skip school and they were just moseying on through the neighborhood and they'd run into them. There was one time Jacob kind of approached Elise and was like, hey, hey you, like what's up? And Elise kind of didn't know what to say and maybe it was a bit of embarrassment. Maybe it was like, ah oh, shit, these guys are weirdos. Do I say hi? What do I do? That kind of awkward moment. But she would end up saying hi and like, what's up? How have you been? Whatever, like small talk. But Katrina and Angel, they would tell Elise, make sure you stay away from those guys. Don't be nice because you feel like you have to be. They're weird. Now, Shannon and Angel were pretty intuitive um, about their friend Elise, and they could tell that she was intrigued by these guys. And from that moment on, Elise would sometimes catch Joe Fiorella pushing his bike past her house, and it was happening more and more. She would be at her window and she'd look at it and there he was and he would stare right back into the window at her and he'd smile and she'd smile back. She wasn't a mean person. She kind of welcomed anybody and for a split moment she did find it odd but she never really thought too much into it. she started to feel like maybe he was keeping an eye on her she figured that maybe he just had a crush on her and elise wasn't the type to shy away from anyone kind of like i've already said she was just really nice she almost felt flattered about it and the most wonderful thing about elise and maybe her biggest downfall in the end is that she was really happy-go-lucky and she refused to see the bad in people she always looked for the good no matter 
how shady the person was or even if she had a gut feeling she was just trying to see beyond that trying to see and trying to confirm that there is good in everybody but unfortunately that's not always the case my friends on one afternoon elise was walking home from her bus stop on her own and as she walked onto her block she noticed those familiar boys jake and joe and they were yelling and motioning for her to come over they were yelling quick you gotta help us you gotta come here and the boys were pointing to the bottom of a bank that was at the side of the road and she got closer she could tell that they were really like frantic and she didn't really know what was going on and she was just like what's what's up guys what's the problem and they're like our friend's stuck at the bottom you got to help us get him we don't know what to do so of course elise being helpful goes up to the edge of the road and is looking at the bank and she's like what are they looking at like just looking around and as she lifts her head up she realizes that all four boys are surrounding her she noticed that they had a very strange smile on their face weird weird um grinning She was about to speak to them and ask them a question before a hand pushed her off balance and she found herself tumbling to the bottom of the dusty bank. She quickly heard a familiar voice and thankfully it was her mom. And her mom was just like, boys, what are you doing? What's going on here? And they quickly scurried away. So her mom helped her up and she was confused and like, what's what's happening here, Elise? I'm a little confused as to why those boys just pushed you down this embankment. And, um... You know, the conversation continued until she got home that night. And as they were having dinner, her mom and her dad questioned her. And, you know, they were like, is there anything we need to be worried about? Why would they do that? She she just reassured them that they were probably just joking around and just being boys. And her mom and dad trusted her judgment, her intuition. They wanted to give her that kind of um, the space she needed, especially after her going away to that rehab center. Uh, well, recovery center, I should say. They didn't want her to think that she was being smothered by them. They wanted to show her that you, you're you um, 15 years old and we trust you. So they really didn't think anything about it. So later that night, Angel and Elise would be on the phone and Elise would tell Angel what happened that day. And Angel was just really persistent on telling Elise to stay the hell away from them, to stop speaking to them, that she knew her friend wanted to be nice, but these just weren't the type of guys you should be nice to. They just gave out off such terrible vibes, like, just don't open a door for conversation. Elise did admit that deep down she was really freaked out about it and that Joe had been kind of stalking her um, and hanging around. So she was trying, she was starting to put two and two together and she was a little weirded out. Angel's like, listen, Elise, I have a really bad feeling about this. I really don't want you to engage or interact with them anymore. And Elise was like, yeah, no, I totally get it. You're right. But Angel knew that Elise was not going to listen and that she was going to give in to temptation. And this definitely wouldn't be the last occurrence between Elise and these boys. And Angel was right. And unfortunately, Elise didn't take the advice, and on July 21st of 1995, she met up with Joe, Jake, Royce, and Casey. She went alone, and she decided to hang out with them, and they smoked pot, and they were talking. They didn't seem so bad after all. And Jacob could feel she was a little uncertain about them, but he assured her that they were all pretty decent guys who just were misunderstood by everybody else. Yeah, okay, guy. Elise erased any gut feeling she had about them. They turned out to be really nice, and Jacob asked for Elise's number that night. She saw no harm in it. Maybe she was a little happy he asked her. 
After all, they did tell her that they were going to be getting their hands on some pretty wicked weed that no doubt she'd love. So Elise was excited about that. The next morning, Elise called Angel. That was the first thing she did. And she recounted her night to Angel and she was not having it. She was like, are you freaking crazy? You went alone with these guys. You were by yourself with four guys. So she told Elise that they were creeps and what she was doing was kind of stupid and she just really needed to stay away from them. She was almost a little annoyed at Elise, but Elise insisted that Angel had it all wrong. Elise admitted that she kind of liked that Jacob character and Angel was freaking dumbfounded. She's like, are you absolutely out of your mind? And she was just, she was just mind blown as Elise was gushing over how cute she thought Jacob was. She even mentioned to Angel that, um, Jacob asked for her number and she willingly gave it. Angel's just, I'm sure she was just sitting there shaking her head like, girl, don't do it. She was definitely growing increasingly worried about her friend. And Elise was just like, chill, girl, you need to chill. You need to calm down. And she mentioned to Angel that, you know, look, I'm probably going to end up seeing him tonight. They want to hang out and I'm pretty down for it. But if only Elise listened to her friend, girls, guys, Please listen to the people who love you. Gut feelings are not something to ignore. Intuition goes back to Darwinism. Yes, Charles Darwin. Sorry I'm bringing you on a little field trip right now back to school. But survival of the fittest has been around forever. And Darwin was on to something. That's why um, he's a pretty big deal. But there's a reason why we have a gut instinct. This is this is how we've survived survived for many years from predators go with your gut. This is years of evolution, people. It's there for a reason. And if if your friends are feeling it and you're ignoring the fact that you're feeling it too, listen to your friends. They love you. They're not trying to ruin your life. They're not just jealous that you're hanging out with a bunch of boys. Maybe they're just genuinely concerned for you. Okay? Okay. So the night of July 22nd, 1995 was breezy. It was arid hot and the night came fast. Jacob and Joe got their hands on some pretty good weed and LSD, so they called Elise and said, hey, you know, listen, meet us at the end of your block. We're going to have a good time. This is what we've got. And um, Royce is going to come with us. And they let Royce know what was going on, and he immediately dropped his girlfriend. They were hanging out, and he just said, yep, I got to go. That's weird. So he did that because he knew what the night was about to entail, and it was about to entail a whole lot more than drugs. Elise got the call while watching TV with her parents. She was so excited and, you know, she'd play it real cool with her parents and tell them, you know, I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed. And just as I'm sure you'd expect it, she snuck out of those beautiful French doors she had. She made her way down the dark block and little did she know she was actually walking to her death. So Travis Williams wouldn't be there that night. He had his own festivities to attend to, so he wouldn't be joining the boys. But Jacob, Joe, and Royce were excited because tonight was the big night. Elise was perfect. Her golden hair and deep blue eyes were perfect. She would make the most beautiful sacrifice to the devil. A ticket to hell, as Joe Fiorello would put it. The boys saw Elise approaching them. She was walking down her block. She looked stunning, just wearing her black sweatpants and a sweater over her thermal top. She had no shoes on, and you know, she liked it that way. It made her feel free. The four of them would walk less than a mile to a desolate eucalyptus grove, crunching branches between their feet as they went deeper into the woods. 
They made their way through the moonlight, and they found the perfect spot. I'm sure the night started off relaxing. There was something satisfying about hanging out with your friends at night, especially in the summer. Besides Royce Casey, Joseph Fiorella, and Jacob Deshamut, no one knows exactly what went on during the last evening of Elise Paler's life. But they say it went something like this, and forensics backs up the story quite a bit. Due to the extreme graphic content ahead, listener discretion is heavily advised. The chaotic events unfolded quickly. Elise didn't see it coming, not at all. She was talking to Royce and Joseph as Jacob got up. She was really into the conversation, it was good. And Jacob walked behind her, he took off his belt and quickly wrapped it around Elise's throat. My stomach is literally dropping as I speak to you guys. Royce immediately lunged on top of her. He held her arms and hands down. Elise had taken the drugs that the guys gave her. She was not in full control of her body, but she was totally aware of what was happening to her. She was terrified. She was screaming. She was completely vulnerable. The idea of escape wasn't even plausible. I wish I could say that the drugs were enough to stop the pain, but that's just not the case. Life has its cruelties, and it was not sparing Elise. Joseph took out a six-inch hunting knife and plunged it deep into Elise's throat. As she gargled with her own blood, she began to scream out for her mom. I'm sure she hoped that her mom's voice would come out, screaming at these boys, like the time they pushed her down that embankment. But sadly, that didn't happen. It's so beyond heartbreaking. Jacob and Royce joined in, and the boys began taking turns stabbing her. They stabbed her in the throat and in her back. She began to pray to God. They panicked as they got to the twelfth stab, because she just wasn't dying. She was begging God to spare her life. Besides these boys, I don't even know if they are boys, whatever you want to call them. Only the trees and the moonlit sky would ever hear Elise's cries. Elise was on her stomach shrieking. They wanted it to stop. They wanted her to shut up. They began stomping on her neck. They thought she was dead. But an autopsy would later show that none of those wounds were fatal, neither were the stomps to her neck. She actually bled to death. Elise was probably clinging on to life as the boys took turns raping her. It's hard to know. The medical examiner said that her death was anything but quick. Elise was left slumped against a tree trunk. She was half-clothed, assaulted, and mutilated. There are no words for this type of crime. Nothing can describe the deplorable, disgusting, and unforgivable act that took place that evening in the summer of 1995. But it gets worse. The next morning was filled with sunshine and the smell of a fresh pot of coffee. Elise's parents, David and Elaine, were wondering when Elise would wake up. David went to wake her. He opened the door to a comforter stuffed with pillows, and no Elise. The panic didn't set in just yet. No. Elise had snuck out before. It was alright. They would call Angel or Shannon. Surely she had to be with one of them. Right? David and Lelaine called Angel and quickly found out that she had left to go visit her grandmother the day before. They then called Shannon. Shannon feared getting Elise in trouble, but she decided to tell the truth. She had not heard from Elise in days. David and Lelaine called Elise's grandmother next. Elise and her grandma were practically best friends. After all, they were extremely similar. But Elise wasn't there either. Next, the Palers called 911. The police picked up the phone and they heard what they had to say. Needless to say, Elise's disappearance was not taken seriously at all. 
So how do you take a missing 15-year-old story not seriously at all? How is it not alarming? Well, Arroyo Grande, California was affluent in many ways. People had money. But there was a drug problem. Crime was pretty bad in 1995 and gang violence was abundant. There were also a ton of runaways. So of course Elise was treated as a runaway immediately. A week prior to her disappearance, a 21-year-old guy from the same town ran away from home. Many believed that Elise ran off to be with him, but Elise's parents knew better. Moving forward, the police really didn't do their job. All they had were a couple of leads. Every so often, people would claim that they saw Elise in the town over or in another state. And Elise's grandma became the face of the Paler family. Her parents were distraught. They were depressed. They were in a rut. So, the grandma started tracking all of these leads, trying to find her missing granddaughter. She put a heartfelt letter in the paper, hoping that her, her granddaughter would hear it. She was pleading for her to come home safely, just in case that, you know, just in case Elise did run away. So back in 1995, there were no cell phones. I don't know if any of you remember this. If you're younger than I am, you probably don't. But maybe if you're older than me or the same age, you remember that summer vacation from school used to be a vacation. You didn't really talk to your friends as much. You didn't talk to them until school started again. I mean, yeah, you had your close friends and you called their house, but when they'd go on vacation or something, you really wouldn't talk to them. They were actually living life, living it away from a screen. So when Angel came home from visiting her grandma for a few weeks, she learned of Elise's disappearance. And guess what? Immediately, her mind went to those boys. She was convinced that they had something to do with it. So as soon as she got home and heard what happened, she called the police and she let them know. But guess what? They would never look into that report. And the worst part is that somebody made an anonymous call a few weeks prior saying that they were convinced that these boys had something to do with it. But another officer took that report. So both officers never saw these two reports next to each other. So they didn't really look into it. To them, it was probably just a dead end and she was a runaway. They were convinced. As the months went by and Elise was missing, 1995 came to an end. Royce Casey, the eldest of that group, was beginning to unravel. He was having an extremely difficult time concealing this secret. He even converted to Christianity soon after taking part in the murder of Elise. He kept a journal with his dark, guilty thoughts. And in the beginning, that journal was helping him, but it wasn't helping anymore. He kept seeing her eyes, those dead eyes. He was having nightmares, and the drugs weren't helping. Nothing was helping. Meanwhile, Joseph and Jacob were living their life bragging about it. They were bragging about it to everyone and anyone about what they did. No one really believed them because, you know, they were the school weirdos, or maybe they did believe them and they didn't want to. I'm sure some of them expected something like this from Jacob and Joseph. They weren't surprised. And I'm sure they did believe them, but they were afraid for their own safety. Jacob and Joseph were just so monstrous. They bragged about it. They went on the internet with their stupid internet friends, and they were so proud of what they had done to this girl. They were afraid that Royce was the weak link, and they subtly started to threaten him. 
they kept saying that Elise wasn't going to be the only one. She wasn't the last. There was going to be more, and it was going to be weak people. So Roy stopped hanging out with them. He started hanging out in a youth group, believe it or not. But he just couldn't stop hearing her calling out in the night, calling for her mom, her blood-curdling screams. It was haunting him. I like to believe that she was haunting him. Even after death, and after all of their bragging, Jacob and Joseph just couldn't leave Elise alone. For eight months, they continued visiting Elise's corpse, and they were performing necrophilia. And if you don't know what that is, that's having sex with a corpse. Sorry, I had to go there. It's just, it's a fact of what they were doing. And on top of this, they were carving satanic symbols into her flesh, her decaying skin. And keep in mind that by eight months, Elise's body was in a deep state of decomposition. You put that all together and you tell me what you get out of it. Fucking disgusting, that's what I get. Well, thankfully, Elise's grandma never gave up on her. She continued hanging up flyers, the missing flyers of her granddaughter. And one day, Royce came upon one of these flyers. And just like that, he reached his breaking point. In March of 1996, he turned himself into local authorities. He told them everything and willingly led officers to Elise. As they were led down a dirt path surrounded by eucalyptus trees, they saw the heavily decayed body of the missing girl. They entirely failed to look for her, and I hope they were ashamed of themselves. I hope they hated themselves. This beautiful girl was finally found in a desolate location. She could finally rest. This, however, of course, is not the end of our story. Jacob and Joseph were quickly arrested. Joseph was home alone, no surprise, because his parents were never around. Joseph was sitting in his black-painted room when police knocked on his door. His mother, Betsy Leo, answered the door and nearly fainted when she was told that her son was being arrested for the murder of Elise Paler. These two were taken down to the station, and Royce was already there crying. He just could not stop crying. His face was scrunched up as he reflected on what he had been a part of. He was terrified as he wondered if Jacob and Joseph would ever forgive him for confessing. Royce's shoelaces and belt were actually confiscated from him. He was put on suicide watch. They knew he was a great risk, but he was the key to this whole investigation because he was willing to speak up. His guilt was eating him alive, and he knew that he needed to face the consequences. He needed to be punished. He welcomed it. It's really all fucked up because Royce was known to be a pretty nice guy. Um, He was the nicer out of all of them, actually. Honestly, I look at his photos and I would have thought he was the ringleader, but no, it was definitely Joe Fiorella, the youngest one, ironically. He was the one who was all about the Satanism. He was the one who bought the books, and he was the one who really brought all of this to life and the ideas of sacrifice. But Royce Casey, I really wonder what would have happened had he never met these two. And I know you're thinking he's evil, and he probably is. Don't get me wrong. This was an evil act. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know if there's any redemption here for this one. I really don't think there is. But I just wonder what would have happened had he not been friends with these guys. And as I did some more research about Royce, I found that he was a really smart dude, but he was always a follower, never a leader. He didn't have a lot of confidence at all, and notice, he was almost, he was an 18-year-old guy hanging out with 15-year-olds and a 17-year-old. That raises a red flag to me. 
and it says a lot more than just immaturity. The relatives of these boys were given the information, and it wasn't a lot. It wasn't all of the story, all of what was found. They were eventually escorted back home as the boys prepared for their very first night of incarceration. Now, I'm sure you're wondering about that fourth friend, you know, Travis Williams. Remember when I said he was too busy doing his own festivities? Well, like I said, Travis lived with Joseph for a while, and he was kicked out of his own home. And uh, yeah, his home life was pretty shitty, and that's really what led him to live with Joe, and Betsy allowed it. But Travis was a pretty bad kid. He had a pretty bad rap sheet. And it turned out that that night, he kind of was involved in a robbery and uh, shot an old woman. So yeah, he was facing his own justice as um, the court was trying to find him guilty of um, attempted murder. So on March 15th, 1996, Shannon and Angel sat in their homeroom waiting for class to begin. All of a sudden, a boy came up to them and he said, Hey, do you guys know that your friend's head was pretty much cut off? They were shocked. They were like, what are you talking about? And this kid was just smirking. He thought it, he was acting like it was some kind of joke. And man, if I were them, I would have whopped that fucking... Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. I'm getting a little passionate. No, but seriously, if somebody would have said that to me, I would have knocked them out. So I give them credit. But what is this? Some kind of joke? And both of the girls immediately burst into tears because they knew he was talking about Elise. And then another kid goes, they cut the head clean off. So weird. And they just kept talking and other kids started making sick, inaccurate claims about what happened to Elise. And Elise's head wasn't cut off. The two girls were excused from class and they didn't return for two weeks. So as I kind of alluded already, most of the students in this high school were not surprised that Joseph, Jacob, and Royce were arrested. Many of them had actually been told about the sacrifice they had made to Satan. They were too afraid to go to the authorities. The boys apparently were digging to find who was a virgin in school. They were asking other guys and girls like, hey, who are the virgins in our school? Like, we want to know. We want to sacrifice them to the devil. And they were being serious. It's a damn shame that a whole school knew where Elise had gone, what had happened to her, and they were just too afraid to say anything. In the eucalyptus grove where Elise had been found, there was a flooding of flowers. There were flowers all over. Her grandmother placed a picture of the beautiful blonde in a jar, a glass jar so it could be seen by visitors. There was a huge wooden cross made on the stump where her body was found lying next to, and her grandma wrote her a poem and left it there. As the news continued to unfold about what happened to Elise Paler, the Palers were contacted by some of the loveliest community members, some neighbors, people who worked in the churches, and they wanted to support this family. They wanted to give them a hand. They wanted to do anything they could. But then there were terrible people. And there were Satan worshippers who were calling into the Paler's family home number, asking them details about the sacrificial murder, asking them about how Elise was murdered specifically. It was all around a living hell for this family. On March 25, 1995, at 7 p.m. in a park nearby the Paler home, more than 300 people gathered to remember and mourn the loss of this beautiful girl. Then soon after, Elise was put to rest and she could finally sleep peacefully. 
The trials for the boys had begun and justice was going to be carried out for them. Joseph Fiorella, the youngest, and the ringleader of it all, seemed to be straight-faced. Some would say he looked almost serene, but cold, as he just sat in the courtroom, never showing a hint of emotion. He was not helpful to detectives at all and wasn't admitting his guilt. No big surprise. Both Joseph and Jacob were denying the murder altogether. They were denying any charges of rape and decimation of a corpse. But unfortunately for them, there was evidence that proved otherwise. There was, first of all, Royce Casey's written confession. Um, And by the way, Royce was not found guilty of rape, by the way. He did not engage in that. But Royce's confession clearly stated what had happened and what he knew about them returning for the course of eight months that Elise was missing and what they had done to her. And forensic experts actually identified the semen of Joseph Joseph and Jacob all over Elise's corpse and in multiple places. Um, and that's pretty disgusting. So the court, the jury, they heard everything, all the evidence they needed to hear. And the motive of all of this was just, that's right, that these boys wanted fame and they wanted to have better guitar skills so they sacrificed a virgin and now if this sounds familiar to you that's probably because you might have watched jennifer's body ah yes that film with the beautiful megan fox and amanda seyfried yep that one where um megan fox has sacrificed the devil so a band could become more famous yeah So, um, that film is actually inspired, um, in part by Elise's story and the unfortunate fate that she met. But if you guys haven't watched Jennifer's Body, definitely watch it. I know a lot of people made fun of it, but I'm not gonna lie, it's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. So, all of the boys were sentenced to 25 years to life for the murder of Elise Paler. Jacob and Joseph just came up for parole, actually, in 2020, but... It's been pushed back because of COVID, so that should be really interesting, and it better be denied. I don't care if they were minors or not. Don't give a shit. Sorry. I think just some things are not forgivable, and this is one of those things. So the boys were actually split up between three different correctional facilities, so they were never housed in the same... Well, housed isn't... You know what I mean. They were never jailed in the same place. But apparently, um, they've all been very upstanding inmates, creating no ripples, no problems, no nothing. They've done pretty well in incarceration. How great. Maybe they should just stay there. I don't know. But you tell me what you guys think. Go on my um, social media, Instagram, crimeghoul underscore. Check out my Facebook or Twitter and let me know what you guys think. Do you think they deserve a second chance at life? Do you think they were too young? What do you think about all of this? I'd love to know. It's always fun to talk about this. So after reading a shit ton of stuff and listening to a shit ton of stuff about this case, I just can't wrap my mind around what went wrong here. So usually when you've got a murderer or killers or something, someone depraved like that, It usually stems somewhere from their young adulthood or childhood, and I could find pretty much nothing on these boys. It was hard to dig up anything as to what what they were doing in prison, what it's been like for them. 
let alone what their early life was like. Honestly, Jacob's parents weren't really present, and I'm sure that's part of the problem. Royce Casey came from a pretty good family. He came from a family of Mormons, and um, there were a lot of kids. But yeah, he came from a good family. And then you have um, Joseph Fiorella, who I don't know much about his dad, so maybe that's where the problem stems from. There's really no information about his dad. But his mom, Betsy Leo, was part of the church, and she was really well-known in the church. And of course, after all this happened, she was kind of ejected um, because of it. But she did seem a little wacky. Um, I would, I did look into her and um, found some weird stuff about her forcing religion onto them. So maybe that's a huge part of the problem too. Not to mention Joel's older brother actually ended up going away for murder as well. Um, so the chances of two siblings going away for murder is pretty slim to none. So clearly something fucked up happened with these two, and I don't know what it is. I'd love to know if anybody knows, if anyone's really well-rounded with this case and you guys have that answer for me, please let me know because I'm interested. But Google, Reddit, the deep corners of the web I've searched, um, DuckDuckGo, I've used a bunch of different servers to try to find more information because I know Google tends to filter out a lot of stuff, but even then I couldn't find much. And I actually read a book within three days about this case as well. I was just like enthralled by it. I threw myself into it because I was just so bothered by it. And I wanted to understand it as best as I could. So yeah, I'm going to post the book up on my, um, you know, social media. So if you guys are interested in reading it, it's like 300 pages and it's a quick read. It's pretty fascinating and there's so many more details I didn't even touch upon. I just wanted to give you guys the most important details so I can uh, tell you about Elise Paler's case because, you know, it's not one I ever really heard of and this is a pretty crazy case in my opinion. What's really weird about this is actually... Um, if you look up Elise Paler's name, you'll find, um, as soon as you Google her name, a crime come not a crime, but um, kind of like a court proceeding comes up and everything. But it's really, it really doesn't have anything to do with these boys necessarily. It actually has to do with a lawsuit. So Elise's parents actually tried um, suing that band Slasher um, in, I think, 2001. And they tried suing them for influencing minors, which obviously has a bunch of problems just in that sentence alone because you can't you can't do that so um yeah they just believe that um this band specifically influenced their kids to worship the devil and well these kids to worship the devil and sacrifice Elise but it doesn't necessarily work that way and the boys would admit that Slasher had nothing to do with influencing them um, I mean, yeah, they loved listening to their really gory lyrics, but what really pushed them into this was them practicing from the Satanic Bible or doing Satanic practices that they thought were correct that weren't. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much what comes up at first about Elise. You have to dig for information about her. It's really messed up, actually. So the family continued to be affected by the loss of their daughter, of course. How could you not? And Elise was um, the oldest child, mind you. She had siblings. I couldn't imagine losing an older sister. I mean, I am the older sister in my family. So it's kind of hard for me to put myself in those shoes. But if I could try and imagine, I just, 
I, I don't even want to try and imagine, honestly. That's pretty much the conclusion of our case for today, though. I'm really interested in opening up the door for conversation about this because, like I said, I like to bring you guys cases that aren't heavily covered in the media, specifically because, first of all, they deserve to be heard, and second of all, there is always something to learn about this. And a couple of things. Please listen to your friends. Listen to your family. When they have a bad feeling about something, you got to go with your gut because your gut's not usually wrong always trust that intuition. It's built in us for a reason. And then on top of that, please don't go anywhere alone. Whether you're a guy or a girl, specifically girls out there, um, I'm really looking at you because the statistics are just there. Don't go hang out with anybody by yourself. I mean, you are all so quick to go jump to Tinder dates or meet up with people on social media and all this stuff. Please just be careful. Let people know where you're going. Um, Don't sneak out. You're going to sneak out, and I know it. But please don't go sneak out with psychopaths or murderers. In all seriousness, guys, just be smart. Be smart about who you're hanging out with. Be smart about who you're meeting up with. Be honest with your parents. I know sometimes it's really hard, and we don't all have very understanding parents. But um, if you can... Just tell somebody. Let somebody know where you're going. If you listened to last week's episode about Bianca Devins, you'll know that she kind of met up with um, a friend from online and look how that turned out. I know we all like to think that we're invincible and we're not going to die, but well, guys, to bring up that miserable um, topic, death is inevitable for all of us. I mean, we should kind of find a solace in it. Um, But in the same sense something like this, the way Elise died, the way Bianca died, uh, the way Breck Bedner died, anyone, anyone that I mentioned on this podcast, just these, their lives could have went so differently had they just made a few different decisions. So take these cases and just become aware, become aware of what's out there and just remember that you're not invincible and you could be Elise, you could be Bianca, you could be Breck, you could be the next person to go through something like this. And if I'm scaring you good, let me be that voice of reason for you. Just be careful. Go with your gut. Don't do things that are shady that you know are going to get you into a pickle. But that's pretty much my life lesson for you guys. Also, don't be followers. Don't be bystanders. Be upstanders. Be leaders or try to be. Just don't go with the grain. Don't go get mixed up with some crazy shit where you're sacrificing virgins to Satan. Don't do that. So that is the conclusion of another very morbid topic. I would really like to know what you guys think about it. I want to. I want you to tell me if you think that these kids deserve a second shot at life because they were so young when this happened. Um, let me know if you think they should remain in prison forever. I know I have my opinion about it. If you're interested, definitely, definitely DM me. I'll chat, chat you up a bit about this, but I think I did enough talking today. And um, when I review really heavy cases like this, I definitely need a moment to kind of decompress because it's a lot. It's pretty shitty. But unfortunately, this is the thing that interests me. And this is how I want to do good with the world and bring awareness. So it is what it is, people. 
All right. So I will um, see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this podcast episode, please share it with your friends. I'm trying to get this podcast out there to other creeps and weirdos just like myself or like you guys. So definitely sharing is caring. Please do that. I'm going to have a link up to my podcast website in my bio for this episode. And definitely take out the pictures from this case on Instagram. That's crimeghoul underscore. Check out my Twitter and my Facebook. And I hope to hear from you guys soon. But be safe, make good decisions, and um, be there for your friends and be there for yourself. Take care of yourself. Thank you.